Imagine More is a weekly podcast that explores the stories, passions, successes, and failures of young, unconventional entrepreneurs. Chantel works to uncover the person behind the passion and unpack the ingredients of their entrepreneurial minds. What is it that makes them imagine more? Hey there, and welcome back to the Imagine More podcast. We're so excited you joined us today. Today we're here with Jody Daniels. She is a certified informational privacy professional and the owner of Red Clover Advisors. She has over more than 20 years of experience helping businesses from solopreneurs to multinational companies in privacy, marketing, strategy, and finance roles. I'm excited to dig into ethics and trust and privacy and all the changes and how she got started. Let's dive in. Hey, Jody! welcome to the show. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. Of course. We're excited to chat and I'm certainly eager to learn more about privacy and ethics and trust and um, what is a day-to-day in your world look like. And to dive in, let's just start by, do you mind sharing a little bit about your company, Red Clover Advisors, and um, what you guys do? Absolutely. So, Red Clover Advisors is a boutique data privacy consultancy. So we help small businesses all the way to big, large multinationals. And we really focus on helping companies get compliant with various privacy laws like GDPR, the new EU privacy law that's causing all those cookie banners to appear on everyone's page with U.S. privacy laws and uh, the more that keep coming around the globe. But we do it from really looking at the customer and building a strong trust-based relationship and not just the check-the-box activity to be compliant with the laws. So we're really all about making sure, yes, you're compliant, but that your marketing is coming from that sense of trust and building a really strong relationship with the customer. That's amazing. Can we dive a little deeper into how do you do that? I mean, I imagine you're going in and consulting and and talking to these businesses on best practices, but then how do you layer on that second piece of like that trust element that you mentioned? Sure. So a lot of the projects start with an assessment. So let's take GDPR as an example. So a company might not know what it needs to be doing. So we would provide, you know, a base level assessment. These are the, let's just say 15 things that you need to be doing And out of that will come a report that says you're doing all of them great or you got 12 to fix. And so then we'll start working on the ones that we need to be uh, addressing. And when we're thinking through the remediation or someone will ask us, well, how can we how can we market to somebody or can we use this type of cookie on the site or we want to create this type of targeting campaign? We have the conversation to figure out a, you know, does that work? Can you do it under the law? And then I like to say, if you can do it, it doesn't mean you should. You still have to look at what what does the customer expect? So really in any of the remediation that we're doing or in any of the, the planning to get a cl- company ready uh, or compliant, we're always taking it from what would the customer expect? So it's that balance of what does the company need because we all are here in business to serve, but ultimately we want our customers to be loyal and happy. And so we we bridge those two pieces together by always putting the customer at the center of the conversation. Do you feel like, um, I mean, I love that you put an emphasis on that and are there competitors of yours that don't focus on that? Um, 
and I guess kind of two-pronged question to that because with the thoughts, are there some businesses that just don't align with your thought process and methodology and and your level of that kind of that ethics conversation that sometimes you're like, you're probably not a good fit because you're just trying to check some of those boxes. Here's someone else that, you, you know, like do you ever kind of bump heads with some of the customers you have if they don't necessarily agree with, you know, they want to just use as much data as they can? Yes. So I have had some of those situations. So there was one particular company that was collecting some pretty sensitive data And in doing so, it didn't offer the customer any choices. So uh, you sort of filled out a profile. And in doing so, let's just say you had four choices available. The customer might not want it to have chosen one of those four. Maybe it needed a, I don't want to answer that. But the company didn't like that answer. And so it, it just kind of marched forward collecting some pretty sensitive data. And my thought on that is you're actually collecting bad data. Um, And so ultimately, all the metrics and everything that you're doing in your own business isn't going to be as meaningful because if I'm the customer and I don't like my my options, I'm just going to pick one. And I didn't necessarily pick the right one. So that's one example where it's come up, you know, a couple other times, especially on the email side, everyone wants to email to the max. And under GDPR, as an example, you really have to look at are you a B2B? Are you a B2C? And really review the, the laws and the rules. And it actually is a little bit complicated and we won't go too deep here, but GDPR is actually one component. There's a marketing law called the e-privacy directive. And when you put those two pieces together, that's actually what marketers have to be looking at when they can ask the question, can I or can't I email or drop a cookie? So when you start looking at your databases and deciding who can I send this campaign to? Who can I put in CRM? You really have to understand what you're sending to whom, what's it about? How long do you have these people? And again, it's always about the customer. There's not a finite rule. As an example, some people will say, well, I want to use my database from five years ago. And there's not necessarily a rule that says it has to be one year, two years, six months, three months. There's some suggested guidance, but you really want to look at what what does the customer expect? If I haven't bought anything from you in four years, should I really be sending you an email? Even if I technically could. Those are the types of questions that I look at. So I think in terms of your question, do other people look at it the same way? I think there's a lot of firms that are very much just the check the box. You know, here's what you need to do, go do it. And, And I really try and take the approach of here's what you need to do. And let's make sure it's best for your business. Let's improve your operations. And let's make sure it's going to be a good experience for the customer. Well, I I appreciate you diving into that a little bit more. And I think that's certainly a differentiator from, you know, some of those other agencies that you mentioned. How did you get into privacy and and this sort of field? So, yeah. So about 10 years ago, I was at autotrader.com. And I helped create and launch a behaviorally targeted ad network. So I stalked everyone listening for cars. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) some people think that that's creepy. (laughs) And the online advertising industry basically came up with self-regulation to try and prevent the government from, from having privacy regulations. So it's kind of interesting to see where we are 10 years later. But that was my entree into privacy. And so... I ensured our compliance at autotrader.com and at the, at the same time, kellybluebook.com and a couple other of the Cox brands, and then created a full-time privacy program from, from there. So that was my entree into privacy, stocking cars. 
Nice. <laughs> um, what made you take the leap to starting your own firm? So I had a hop in between. So I was at Cox and I, I built that program for several years. And then I went over to Bank of America and was the privacy lead for digital products. And then I made the hop into entrepreneurship. And it was just, I think I always knew that's where I wanted to go. And it was a matter of, of time and, and just being ready. I felt like I had the experience that I really needed and I had the confidence to do it. And then it turned out my timing was really well, well done with GDPR, uh, kind of coming into the horizon and U.S. companies really paying closer attention to it. Uh, so I made the hop last summer, 2017. That's so exciting. Thank you. So how have you been attracting clients? How, you know, did you, were you able to take any from previous roles and, and convert them to new clients or how does that work? So I did not take any clients from any previous roles. So I did it more the cold turkey routes where old fashioned networking of, you know, working with people uh, or informing people rather who I had worked with time ago and saying, hey, I'm out on my own. I'm available. This is what I'm capable of. And just a lot of old fashioned networking. I also did a fair amount of speaking I love public speaking. I love the opportunity to share the message of why privacy is important. Thank you for having me on here. Sort of the same idea. So a lot of speaking. I did some writing. I did some blog posts. I've done a variety of webinars and just really trying to educate on what privacy is, why companies should care. And then I've been fortunate that people will remember me. And, uh, and then I've done work from them. That's really exciting. And I love to hear leveraging so much of the digital marketing pieces. So you did lead with networking as a big piece, but then everything else almost kind of stemmed from being online and, and being a thought leader in this space, which I think is really fascinating. Um, is there anything you wish you knew when you first got started? So I know it's been you're about a year in now. How are you feeling? And, and what is maybe the biggest lesson that you've learned so far? Yes. So, you know, and it's funny, I'm going to say this because I'm such a process oriented person. <laughs> if anyone listening really knows me, they would know, oh my gosh, you're such a detail oriented, completely organized process driven person. But yet I kind of dove, you know, two feet in and didn't necessarily set up all the processes right away. And I'm now going back and doing that. Um, like, you know, what's a good project management tool to use and um, really getting a good cadence on the accounting and all of those types of things. Uh, anyone who's going to jump in, it's not as exciting as as getting the work and starting in on it, but it's really important and it's so much hard. It's so much easier. And I preach this in my own business of right build privacy by design and do it at the beginning because it's so much easier. Uh, same thing in business. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> build your systems in advance uh, so that you can scale and and, and grow. So. Yes, that would probably be my biggest one. Well, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, but do you think that you would have known that perfect process or system when you first started or you kind of did have to fly by the seat of your pants to figure out what that client needed and how you were going to structure it or, or has it kind of stayed the same and you just didn't have it written down? I think it's a probably a combination. I didn't do a good job of writing it all down and I was so focused on client delivery and client um, – uh, you know, client leads that I just kind of always put the boring back office stuff um, you know, in the back <laughs> because it just wasn't as exciting. So I think you, 
any entrepreneur, just like any size business, has to be nimble and has to be agile to be able to change and adapt. So it would have been great had I set up, for example, a Trello board. And so I could have just continued to repeat and maybe even made my life easier having done that with my clients. You know, here's everything that we're going to be doing. And this, the expectations would be super clear. And I, because I didn't do it, I wasn't as formal that way because I was so focused on just here's what we're going to be doing. I want to make sure I get you what you need to be in this time period. And also, I think because so many companies were calling me last minute trying to get everything all ready by the May 25th GDPR deadline that we just had, we were very focused of that versus some of the other other items. No, that's that's certainly fair. Thinking of that that recent deadline, do you anticipate there to be some seasonality and some um, these like big deadlines that keep coming that help shape your business and cash flow? Um, or have you kind of figured out a, a good retainer model ongoing to stabilize some of that? So it's a great question. I think for companies, so I think there was a massive rush for anyone doing business in the EU. Of those companies, I, I put them in a couple different buckets. I think there's the people who uh, did nothing and still need to. So I think you're going to see a rush of companies. They're kind of waiting for what kind of fines are going to come. Are their customers really going to demand that they pay attention to this law? So I think there'll be a new wave because uh, the fines are coming. They just It takes a while for all those regulatory bodies to process them. Then I think you had people who did a little bit. And I call it window dressing. They did the privacy notice and the cookie banner, but they didn't do anything internally. And those companies, I think, also are going to have some extra work to do. So all of that would be kind of new business. Then, of course, you have companies that are U.S. now, but they're going to start expanding. And so they'll have to figure out what does it mean to them to comply. And then you have the ongoing maintenance piece. And that's sort of my other bucket where I feel like a lot of companies, maybe they did do all the assessment work and they identified any changes that needed to be made, but they didn't think about how do I do this on an ongoing basis? Because it's really not just a check the box activity, not a one and done, but really how do I make sure that every time I have a new vendor, I update all the documentation that I worked so hard on back in the spring? Or every time I want to create a new app or a new website page, how do I make sure that I'm thinking about the privacy notice that I have and all the personal data I'm collecting? All of that is a maintenance piece. So part of the model that I'm looking towards is helping companies design that process and then also a bit of an audit check to identify, here's what you said you were going to be doing. How is that going? And to help companies and give them some assurance that all their GDPR plans and soon-to-be U.S. privacy plans are in check. That's really exciting. Yeah, so it definitely seems like exciting waves of, of new business opportunities. And it's something that kind of resonated with me when, when we started the company almost six years ago, ago now, social media. Um, everyone knew they needed to be doing it, but a lot of people hadn't um, jumped on you know this new marketing piece. And so I think it's similar to your business and your you're the front leader and the thought leader in this space and everyone is now starting to hear about it and understand it and know they need to do it um, and they're just starting to jump on board. So I'm so excited to see where you grow and continue to to head. On that note, where where do you see your business going? Yes. Yeah, so, well, first, GDPR and the concept of it is kind of sweeping the globe. So we, we started in the EU, but it is expanding. So especially to anyone listening who 
didn't do it because they thought that they don't, they're not in the EU. So it's gone to Brazil. It's coming to China and India and Argentina. Um, Canada's looking at it. And the U.S. is now also starting to have some privacy laws and a lot of heated discussion on a broader privacy law. So I think the future of my business is to keep helping people on GDPR. I think that's just still going to be a couple of years of before it's even remotely mature, especially as people start understanding what is it, what does it mean? And we start sort of seeing some cases and there's kind of like, I hate to use the fancy word precedent, but that's an important word to really get a sense of what, what kind of consent does that cookie banner really need to look like? Because if you go out there today, you'll see three different versions and each of those companies thinks it's right. So we'll get a good sense. So I think GDPR will be there for a little while. I think, um, Helping companies with all the new U.S. privacy laws. There's a big one in California that is effective in 14 months, and there's more to come. Many other states are following suit. So I think you'll start to see that. And I'm really hopeful that we'll start to see the smaller and mid companies realize that they need to have more of a kind of privacy as a service. I think it'll be a little while till they probably start hiring full time privacy people like the larger companies are, but that they're going to need some sort of ongoing privacy services. And that's a big piece of, of what I'm looking to be able to do is provide that fractional privacy as a service piece to the small medium market. Exciting. Do, and do you hope to bring on new teammates and hire people to help support you or do you love working independently? So I absolutely want to grow the team. So I've been fortunate along the way that I've worked with some um, contractors and freelancers and I want, to, I want to grow. I want to scale. I want to stay as a boutique consultancy, but I absolutely want to grow and be able to really serve more clients. And I, I love the small medium space. Um, people always ask me what size is that? And, and it's hard to say because it's really all about the kind of personal data that you have. And, and less about number of employees and, and revenue because a teeny tiny startup could have more personal data than a really big company. But I absolutely want to grow. And I'm excited about marching forward to do that in, in 2019. And do you anticipate still being one of the lead consultants or managing the team that will be consulting on your behalf? I think I want to still be one of the lead consultants. I really enjoy working through some of the big, big problems that clients have and, and, you know, what should I be doing with this data and what, what can I be doing? And here's this great new, amazing technology and way to analyze data. And I want to be part of that conversation. You know, data is king. There's so much data out there today and there's the ability to use it. We just have to do it from a, a privacy mindset and so I absolutely don't advocate that you have data, you can't use it. It's just about trying to use it smartly. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exciting that you're interested in growing the team. I mean, thinking of all the hats that you're wearing right now, um, what is maybe the first one that you're thrilled and so pumped to pass off um, in a new teammate? Probably policies. <laughs> I don't love <laughs> writing policies. <laughs> um, and I actually do have someone really, really awesome at writing policies who's been helping me. So that has been amazing to be able to have some help with. So yes, that one. I super important. Um, and I review every single one that I that you know we have and before we send it out the door, but I don't I don't love doing that part. <laughs> 
Well, that is fair. <laughs> Usually we hear like bookkeeping and accounting. Yes, yes. Well, though, so I am a former accountant. Um, I, <laughs> I, I don't love keeping the books, but I do. I, I don't love that part either. <laughs> it says this former CPA. Nice. Well, at least you know how to do it, which I'm sure is one step up for most of us who started, which is great. Um, where do you continue to learn and to grow, and especially in such a fast-paced industry? So I spend a lot of time on social media. What's really neat is the privacy community is very tight-knit, and, and across the globe, I have met in LinkedIn and online from so many privacy professionals around the world, and it's a really amazing community because so many of these laws are new, and we're all learning from each other. So I spend a fair amount of time reading um, peers' comments and then in different regulatory bodies, so not super exciting. But like in the UK, there's uh, a wonderful site that, that breaks down this information. It's a lot of information, but it breaks it down pretty simply. So uh, I'll read those. And then, you know, kind of like the regular trade publications. And then I, I listen to a lot of the marketing podcasts because I really want to make sure that I'm in tune with some of the latest and greatest trends. That's great. Um, I want to switch gears and kind of toggle back to the how you're attracting clients now and how you're finding new customers. Um, and one of the, the leading things for you is networking. And I would love to hear your thought process on how you divvy up your time. Um, you know, are there certain days of the week that you carve out, okay, I'm going to spend X number, you know, X percent as being a very detail-oriented person, X percent of the time here, or um, I have to go to this many a month. How do you find those networking events that you attend? And then also, like, how do you break it down from a week-to-week -week standpoint? Yes. So I have followed a number of people who would say I should absolutely break it down and be that detailed, but I will admit I don't. So I do look, though, as every day is an opportunity. And what I try and do is block it um, so that – I'm not doing sort of one-offs if I can help it. So for example, later this week, I'll have three networking meetings back-to-back -back at the same location. So that way, I've used that entire block of time for networking. And other times, I'll take a big block and say, nope, this is my thinking working time, and I'm just, I'm just not going to meet anybody during that period of time. So I do try and block and tackle as best as I can. But of course, there's sometimes those meetings, and it's the only time someone can meet, and it's a really important meeting or I feel like it will be extremely valuable and I break my own rules. So I think that's an, a really important uh, piece for any entrepreneur or really any, any person is to understand your own rules and have the flexibility to know when, when it's important to be able to break them. But I find out about events. I am on a, a number of different listservs. I learn a lot from LinkedIn and I do, because I also do a fair amount of networking sort of online, people then tag me and get to know me and think, oh, you should, you should attend this particular event. And then I do spend some time trying to find what would be the events that make sense for me. So, and, and you can attend all of them. So we just came off of, uh, in October, Cybersecurity Awareness Month. I literally could have gone to a conference every single day and never worked and never done anything else but go to conferences, which is not you know, feasible. So I needed to look and decide, okay, which events am I going to go to and turn down other events and just make the best use of my time. And when I look at them, I'm thinking, who's my target market? And do I think that they'll be there? Or do I think that they'll be a good distribution channel partner 
that might be there. Um, and so you sort of have to balance the learning for yourself versus the people who might be good lead generators for me there. So that's how I break up my time. No, that's great. And then as far as the conferences, I mean, I, I certainly feel you. There's always something that you can be going to and learning from and meeting people. Um, when you attend the conferences, do you have like, I'd love to meet five people and that's my goal today, or it's just kind of, you know, organic and whatever happens at this conference happens. So it's more organic though. My goal is not to meet everyone because that's, my goal is to meet a handful of a few people that I could foster a relationship with because it's not, it's quality over quantity. I, if I meet, if there's a hundred people there, there's no point in my meeting a hundred people because I'm just going to have the name and I'm, I will not have even had a meaningful conversation and neither of us will even remember anything about each other. It'd be much better to go and meet three or four of them, have a real conversation, foster that connection, and then do some type of a follow-up. And I think the follow-up's really important because otherwise it's just another business card that sits on your desk. And then in three months you look and say, who on earth was that person? I really don't remember who they are. Or if you just go and add them to LinkedIn, but don't do any follow-up to understand their business a little bit more, again, it's really just an empty contact and that's not meaningful. So when I go, it's very much about, you know, I don't necessarily have, I have to meet three people because maybe I meet four, but it's very much, I want to have good quality conversations with just a few people. Yeah, no, I love that. And it always surprises me on the follow-up piece, how many people do, you know, if they get your business card, just do not follow up. I mean, it is mind boggling to me. That feels like the thing you need to do. Yes. And the other piece that is what you should not do, of course, it comes from the privacy point of view, is don't just take the card and add them to the CRM. That is not networking. <laughs> That's just yeah. blasting. And I'm kind of annoyed. You've just taken my card and just want to sell me something as opposed to get to know me and understand who I am. Um, I literally was at a conference this weekend and it was a company all about marketing and how to help you market yourself online. And, and what they did is put me in their system and I'm just getting spammed. I will not hire that company to help me because they're not treating me as a customer, right? They're not trying to get to know me and what is it that I need and who am I? And I think the whole point of networking is fostering relationships. Going back to your question of how do I, uh, you know, where are, is the client work coming from? My very first client was from a relationship that I had six years ago right? Just continuing that ongoing relationship. Now, you never know who you meet, right? I might get some, something from someone I met last week, but it really is about understanding who they are and how can you help the other person and making it a give and a take and not just a take. Mm -hmm. Maybe may a good um, partner or client to trade with because it sounds like they may need some help. And then yes, you can good them. point. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, JD, only a couple more questions for you to wrap things up. First and foremost, for any listeners uh, interested in starting a company and taking such a big leap going from corporate to starting their own firm, do you have any advice? So my first advice would be be confident in yourself and know that there are so many amazing people out there who are going to root for you. Um, and then, of course, you know, some of the practical steps. So 
you have to have a good financial footing. If you're going to take the leap with no clients, you need to be able to know what are your expenses and, you know, understand the ramp up time for revenue to start coming in the door so that you can be prepared. Because when you don't have a a strong financial base that you feel comfortable to be able to take that lead time to start generating business, you might start making, um, you know, decisions based on emotion or based on that sort of lack of, of, um, good financial backing. And and those aren't really the best decisions. So really make sure you have a good financial plan sort of before you take the leap from corporate would be number one. Um, Having an idea of what it is that you want to do, I think is always important and start having those conversations with people before you leave and, and let them know this is what you're thinking. And if you need a website, maybe you start planning some of that early so that when you literally hand in your resignation, you're kind of ready to go. And the most important piece, I think, is truly what I said at first, which is to just have the confidence and start building your own little board of advisors and trusted people who can help you, right? And at the very beginning, everyone is so interested and eager to help you. And there's an amazing support network out there, but they can't help you if you don't feel comfortable and confident of what you're doing and you don't reach out to them. Those are those are all great um, and if you were to summarize your first year in business in one word, what word comes to mind? Exhilarating. Nice. <laughs> that's a really good one. Um, and there was no hesitation there. So that's awesome. Well, Jody, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about Red Clover Advisors, and uh, stay connected? So uh, they can go to redcloveradvisors.com. You can find Red Clover Advisors on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And on LinkedIn, I am Jody Hoffman Daniels. And um, I do a fair amount of posting and thought leadership uh, there. And of course, just my email is Jody, J-O-D-I, at redcloveradvisors.com. Great. Thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate your insight. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it.